The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, good morning to all of you wherever you may be this morning. How are you this morning? Are you doing well? Wherever you may be all over the country, we are so glad that you're tuning in this morning and are a part of our Story City family today. What a season this has been, hasn't it? It's been just, just a wild, wacky season, and uh, I think we're almost a month and a half into this new season, and I just want you to know, as things are changing, I know I have friends all over the country who are beginning to go back to church uh, here in California and Los Angeles. I want you to know that we are committed to this process, and we will begin the process of returning back to whatever normal may be for us, uh, whenever it's safe and whatever, whenever it's right. And uh, so we're praying for it. You pray for us. I know there's a lot of things going on, but uh, I just want to welcome you this morning. Glad that you're here, and uh, I'm really excited for the message today. Before I jump in, I just want to remind you that um, after the service, we're now hosting what we call a lobby, and uh, if you're missing friends, if you're trying to get to know people, we'd love to encourage you to jump into the lobby after the service Say hello to some people if you need prayer, whatever it may be. We'd love for you to join us after the service. There'll be a Zoom link in the chat on Facebook, and we'd love for you to join us. Now, this morning, I want to preach a message. We intended, I had intended, I told our staff on Tuesday this week that we were going to jump back into the book of Luke. Uh, we'd been in a series before all of this hit, and we were in the, in the book of Luke chapter 9. And that's where I intended to go back to this week. And as I jumped into a studying for the message this, uh, for this morning, I just could not get comfortable with it. And God had something else that he wanted to put on my heart and share with you. And so I'm really, really excited this morning. And so this morning, I want to preach a message titled, What is God teaching us in the coronavirus? What is God teaching us right now? Uh, I want to reflect on what he may be teaching you, what he may be teaching us this morning. And I think it's a good reflection for us. And I want you to understand that this list is not exhaustive. Um, At any given time, in any given space, any given way, in any given life, God is doing lots of things in lots of ways to lots of people and for lots of people. And so what we're sharing this morning is not an exhaustive list. In fact, I I remember one pastor saying years ago, I read it, and I don't remember where I read it, but he said, at any given time, God is doing about 10,000 things, and I'm only aware of a few of them. And so this morning, I I just want to reflect on a few things that I really believe that God is teaching us. Certainly, he's up to a lot of things, but I I want you to also understand this morning that I'm I'm not dreaming up some things that God may be teaching us. Um, I, I think it's, um, I think it's possible, even in Christian life, that sometimes we can believe or imagine a reality that may not really be a reality. Uh, we, we, we may be in prayer. We may have conversation with other people and think, oh, this is the reality that God is doing. I'm not guessing what the reality is here and what God may be saying this morning because God has defined reality for us. He's not silent about what he's doing in his world. And the reason I know that and we know that is because he's given us his word. And so this morning, the reflections that I want to share with you are coming from God's word about what he's doing in our world. I can confidently say that at least these three things God is doing. He's teaching us, and we know that because he's spoken to us in 
his word. It's easy to create reality in different seasons of life. We try to create reality, but we don't have to do that this morning. We don't have to make up reality. We we just simply need to point ourselves to that reality and affirm that reality as we find it in the scripture. Does that make sense to you this morning? I was talking to a friend this week uh, that goes to Story City Church, and we were talking about returning back to work. And he was talking about how he's, he's sort of anxious and ready to get back to work. I know many of you are ready to get back to work. Many of you are ready to get back to work because you need money. But for the believer, there's a part of this process that many of us are ready to get back to work because it's inherent in our calling. It's inherent in God's vocational calling to all of our lives. It's part of how we're fulfilled. It's part of how we fulfill the mission of God. And the reason we know that is because God has defined that reality for us in the Bible. So with that in mind this morning, I want to take a few passages. Normally, we like to take one passage and walk through it for a message on a Sunday morning. But today, I want to do it rather topically. And we're going to look at the scriptures today and allow the Bible to define reality for us in this current season. So I want to point us to three lessons that I believe God is teaching us in the coronavirus. And the first lesson is this. What is God doing in the coronavirus? Here's the first thing. I believe God is using the coronavirus. God's reminding us that this isn't the way we were originally intended to live. I really believe that's reality for us today. God's reminding us this isn't the way we were originally intended to live. We can definitively say today, We can definitively say that this is not the way we were originally created to experience. Sin is the ultimate root of every pandemic, of every tragedy, of every disease, of every ugly and evil thing in the world. You hear us beat that drum quite often at Story City Church. It's because we believe that the Bible defines reality for us. And when we understand the reality as we see it in the Bible, it explains so much in our world. It explains even pandemics in our world. And so what we see in the first two chapters of Genesis is that we see humanity and creation and God are all in harmony with one another. We don't see earthquakes in the first two chapters of Genesis as we experienced last night here in the valley. We don't see tornadoes as my sister experienced last week. We don't see disease. We don't see hurt. We don't see pain. We don't see murder. We don't see pandemics in the first two chapters of Genesis. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we see no disunity with God between God and man. We don't see disunity in the garden between man and creation. Everything is in perfect, created order. But listen, but in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 happens And Adam and Eve introduce sin to humanity. And since Genesis chapter 3, humanity has been in this uh, struggle. We've been dealing with the unintended consequences of sin ever since Genesis 3. And so every year, every month, every week, every single day, we see this path of destruction that sin leaves. And it's right in front of our very eyes. In fact, um, I looked it up this week. E-Online even has a section on their website dedicated to tragedy news. Um, just Here's a couple headlines that I just read this week. It just in the last few weeks, a couple tragedy headlines. Inside the horrific legacy of serial killer Ted Bundy. Separating Heath Ledger's rich legacy from his dark fate. A third headline, Inside the Kennedy Curse, How the Dynasty Endures in the Wake of So Much Tragedy and Scandal. 
And so the coronavirus is just, just, it's just the latest example of the devastating effects of sin. And so there's a lot of talk in our world, even I read this morning when I woke up, there's a lot of talk in our world about where the coronavirus came from. I think at this point, we're probably pretty aware of what's going on. We're pretty aware of where it came from. Was it created in a lab? Did it come from animals? Well, the, the, the answer, the, the, the root of the answer for Christians is that the virus came from Genesis chapter 3. The root of the virus, the fallout of sin in the garden, is, is the result of coronavirus. I believe it's good and helpful for humanity. We need to figure out where it came from. We need to figure out how to deal with it. We need to figure out what we need to do as a result of whether it was man-made or, or whether it came from animals. It's good, but for Christians, we know where the root of the coronavirus came from. We know also that this isn't the world that God created for us. Paul summarizes that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. The record of the Bible, the reality that we live in, is that the world has been broken ever since Genesis chapter 3. You know, there's so much beauty in the world that we live in. Yesterday, my wife and I and my kids, we rode down the Pacific Coast Highway uh, through Malibu up to Camarillo, uh, just, just admiring the beauty of the ocean and the mountains to the right, the ocean to the left. There's so much beauty in the world that God has created, but the reality that we live in is that the beauty in the world that God allows us to experience is juxtaposed against evil. It's juxtaposed against disease and disaster and frustration. And year after year, humanity has this front row seat to this sort of conveyor belt of calamity that we see in front of our very eyes every single day. And so the reality that the Bible defines for us this morning is that sin is now organic to humanity. Don't you like that word? We love that word in 2020. Sin is organic to humanity. It's natural but now hold on just for a moment. Not only is sin natural to humanity, but the Bible tells us it's not only natural, but it's part of God's judgment. Now hold on just for a moment. Sin is natural to our world, but it's also part of God's judgment. Hang with me as I try to unfold this. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now listen to what Paul says. In hope, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage, from its corruption, Paul says. Why? He says, to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, that's what Paul says, together in the pains of childbirth until now. Did you catch how Paul describes creation here. Did you catch how he, he describes creation as being in futility, as bondage. He describes it as corruption, as creation is groaning, he said. Creation is in pain, he describes it this way. We see this imagery play out in front of our very eyes every single day, all the time. And then Paul goes on to say that this trail of destruction, now you need to follow this, this trail of destruction is part of the judgment of God. Paul says that creation has been subjected to groaning, 
to destruction, to pain, to bondage, to futility. Creation has been subjected to all of this. Why does he say so? It's important that you hear this this morning. God allowed creation to be subjected to all of this because Paul says, for the very simple reason of what the Bible calls hope. Adam didn't subject humanity to all of this. Adam didn't subject humanity to all of this destruction and hope. The Bible says God did. So can I ask you a question this morning? Why would God do this? Why would God allow destruction? Why would he allow such a thing like the coronavirus to happen? Well, Paul says here very clearly, it's because of hope. Paul says, so that we can obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, hang on to this just for a moment. God has an incredibly beautiful and extraordinarily wonderful future for those of us who are his children. He's got this beautiful future, this incredibly beautiful uh, thing in front of us for all of his children. We're going to experience this new creation, but until then... Paul says humanity, and get this, even Christians, even Christians are subjected to the terror of sin. Humanity, even Christians, are going to die in car accidents. Humanity, even Christians, are killed in tornadoes. Humanity, even Christians, are going to catch coronavirus and die. For those of us who aren't Christians, and the question persists in our minds, but how could God allow this destruction to happen? And if you're a believer this morning, then you should probably understand the experience of sin's devastating effects on humanity, whether that's tragedy, whether that's disease, whether that's accident, whether that's coronavirus, all of those things that happen. If you're a believer, you should understand them, that they are not condemnation. Now, you can tune into a lot of church services this morning, and many pastors may tell you that what we're experiencing is condemnation, but as a believer, the Bible tells us that that is not our experience for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that because we read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible also tells us about Christians, God has not destined us for wrath, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, to die is to gain. He also tells us in Philippians 1, 23, that to depart is to be with Christ. And so the pain that we experience, the frustration that you're experiencing in this season, listen, is a reminder of the hope of things to come. It's, it's not a reminder of punishment if you are a believer this morning. That's reality for us. It's a reminder of the hope of things to come. And so the pain and the frustration that you're experiencing in this season, that you're feeling in this season, is a reminder that this is not what we were created to experience. It's also a reminder that God has created an incredibly beautiful and wonderful new reality for those of us who are believers. And so the pain and frustration of this season, the pain and frustration of this season should point us to the hope of a new creation. So let me try to ask another question and, and maybe try to answer it for us this morning. And so Pastor Matt, if, if, if sin that was committed in the garden was a spiritual sin, if the sin that was committed by Adam and Eve in the garden was, was moral rebellion against God, then, then why would God allow physical judgment for a moral evil? 
Why, why, why would God choose to, to, to allow that to happen? And so part of God's response to Adam and Eve's rebellion and independence in the garden is to allow humanity to experience physical disaster, to allow humanity to experience misery. But Pastor Matt, why, why couldn't God just leave the physical world in humor, harmony? That's how it was in the garden. Why couldn't God just allow the physical world to remain in harmony and allow misery in the human soul since that's where sin originally started. Why couldn't God do that, Pastor Matt? One pastor suggests that God put the physical world under a curse so that the physical calamity we see around us would become a very clear picture of how horrible sin really is. I want you to think about this just for a moment, especially in our postmodern world that we live in. How many of us really wrestle with the agony of our own sin? It's difficult sometimes as a pastor trying to convey the concept of sin because we live in a world where we don't really wrestle with the agony of sin. We don't stay up at night wrestling with the agony of my sin and what it's done between, to, to me, between me and God. We don't wrestle with the agony of sin. We don't stay up at night when we've sinned against God, when we've neglected God, when we've denied God. But listen to me, but you feel physical pain but you feel physical pain. You experience the physical pain of misery. You experience the physical pain of sadness. You experience the physical pain of, of death and sickness when people experience tragedy. And so this physical corruption that we see, the physical corruption that we feel, and the physical corruption that we experience in our world is a reminder. It's a reminder and it's a warning about the moral rebellion against God. And so the coronavirus, like every other disease, like every other tragedy, like every other thing in our world that's been difficult to experience, is a siren that reminds us that something is wrong with humanity. And we need this siren. We need this wake-up call to humanity about the violent nature of our idols, about how we neglect God. We need these reminders. Why do we need these reminders, Pastor Matt? Otherwise, when we don't have these reminders about how difficult our sin is, we spend more time trying to figure out how many likes do I have? What's my social media account? We worry about all of these other things rather than our relationship with God. And so we need these reminders in our world. And it causes us to turn away from the violent nature of our idols, the violent nature of our sin. It causes us, and it should cause us, to turn rather towards God. And so the coronavirus is this, it's shouting through a bullhorn, wake up! Wake up, humanity! This is what sin against God is like. It's horrific. And so God is using the coronavirus to remind us this isn't the way we were originally created to live. Now, can I say this? We can't just stop here. We can't just stop here because this seems like bad news. We can't stop with the appalling nature of our sins. It's like a doctor that comes in and says, you've got this awful thing going on. I can do nothing about it. There's nothing in this world that can solve it. And so we can't just stop here with the appalling nature of our sin. There's bad news in the gospel, but listen to me. God is not like the doctor who can't do anything about the bad news. God always has good news for us as long as we're still living. And so here's the second thing I believe God is teaching us in the coronavirus. The first thing is that this is not the way we were originally intended to live. But the second thing is this. God is reminding us that only in Jesus is there perfect security. Only in Jesus is there perfect security. So if disasters are a reminder, 
of the devastating effects of sin, then they're also like this, this bright neon sign that's pointing us, that's shouting to us. It's like a lighthouse directing us to safety and security. Just last week, my sister, who lives in South Carolina, uh, they experienced an F3 tornado. And so the tornado uh, came within 300 yards, literally, 300 yards of, of literally destroying uh, my sister's home and, and, and where they live. I, I know we don't experience tornadoes here in L.A. We, we get earthquakes. And if you're not in L.A., uh, last night we got a 3.3 earthquake. We experienced that. We don't typically experience tornadoes. But back in the South, where I'm originally from, even in Atlanta, where we used to live, we experienced tornadoes. And Oftentimes, towns back east have uh, these, these tornado sirens. I don't actually know what they're called, but, but when a tornado has been confirmed, a siren will go off, and you can hear it literally all over town. So when we lived in Atlanta, we experienced this several times. And so when that tornado siren goes off, you know there's bad weather in the area because you've already heard reports. You get it on your phone. But when the tornado siren goes off, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so we experienced it several times while we lived in Atlanta. And as soon as the siren goes off, it's terrifying. And then we grab, we, we grab our things, a few things that are important to us, including our kids. And, and, and the house we lived in was three stories. The bottom story was our basement. And so when the siren goes off, you try to find the safest place to take shelter. And when it goes off, we would go downstairs, and then we would take a left in our basement, and we would go back to this back room that was up against the, uh, up against the wall, really up against the, the earth on the other side of the wall, and, and we would take shelter there because it was the safest place to be if a disaster was going to rip through our house and tear it apart. Disaster is a gracious directive from God. Disaster is a gracious directive from God to seek shelter, to be saved while there's still time. And so times like this that we're in during the coronavirus, God's calling to all of us to realign ourselves with this infinite worth of Jesus, to find our security, to find our hope in Jesus alone. In Luke chapter 13, we see a natural disaster that happens. There's 18 people that are killed by a tower that collapses. And so there's religious leaders in the scene, and they look to Jesus after these 18 people have died, and they say to Jesus, did these people die? Die because of their sin. Why were they killed, Jesus? As if God has this, this anger built up against these people, and he, he finally saw the opportunity to really take them out. And so Jesus' answer back to these religious leaders is sort of confusing. We see it in Luke chapter 13. He says to the religious leaders, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent... You will all perish. In other words, Jesus says there's a disaster coming to all of us. The ultimate disaster is death. That's the result of sin. And unless you have repented, the ultimate destruction will be eternal separation from God. And so these religious leaders are asking Jesus about the tragedy and about why it happened and about its effect on these people. But Jesus replies and says his reply is meant for the religious leaders. It's also meant for us. And he brings up their sin, not not the ones who died. And in essence, Jesus says this disaster, like a lot of disasters that happen, are not usually God's judgments. But they're a siren for everyone to repent. They were like many people who see tragedy happen. They're asking, why, why, why did these people die so cruelly? Why did these people die so 
meaninglessly. And Jesus says what happened is a reminder that we're all going to die. But this should remind you to come to God and to be saved while there's still time. And so I believe the coronavirus is just one of the latest and a long line of calamities that God is using to call people to trust in him and to turn to him. And so the Bible describes this action with one word, and that one word is repent. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's not just a, it's not just a change of opinion. It's not just a change of thought. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And so the change that Jesus is talking about to our heart and to our mind and to our soul, the change he's referring to here is, is this change where it's a change in such that we value and we treasure Jesus above everything else. Repentance means that we turn from everything else in life that causes us not to treasure and not to value Jesus above all. The reality is, is that humanity has such difficult trouble treasuring Jesus above everything else, even pastors, even church members. We have difficulty treasuring Jesus, making Jesus the ultimate, not allowing our idols to get in front of Jesus. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus is the infinite joy that C.S. Lewis is talking about. He's the infinite security. Jesus is the infinite hope that all of us need in the coronavirus. And so God can and God is using the coronavirus to allow us to see, to show us that nothing in this world can offer you security and hope and satisfaction like Jesus himself can. The reality is none of us can do business as normal right now. The reality is I can't go into a store without wearing a mask. The reality is I'm not supposed to be face-to-face with people right now. Coronavirus has taken away security. Coronavirus has taken away comfort. Listen to me, it can also take your life, but God allows us to experience it firsthand so that we can be reminded that Christ and Christ alone is our security. Christ and Christ alone is our treasure and our hope. So can I say to you this morning, stop relying on yourself. Stop relying on yourself and finding false security in idols and rely instead on God. Let the coronavirus realign your life to the worth and the value that Jesus is, to the absolute security that Jesus is. Is that where you are today? Is that the story of your life? Maybe you need to allow the opportunity in the season that we're currently in to see the infinite worth of Jesus. Maybe you need to do that, the Bible says, by You begin by repenting. You come before God and you say to God the same thing about your idolatry and sin that God says about it. And the way you experience the agony of that sin in this season is that you can look around and see the devastation, the physical devastation around us. And it can remind you that that's the effect our sin has on God. 
And so repentance says you come before God and say, God, I, I, I finally say the same thing about my sin that you say about it. It's devastating. It's horrific. And I have a change of heart, and I want to change of mind, and I want to change in my soul, and I want to look to the infinite worth and security of Jesus instead. I believe that's one of the things that the coronavirus is teaching us. God is reminding us this isn't the way we were originally intended to live. He's also reminding us this morning that in Jesus alone is perfect security. But then let me just pivot for a moment and transition into one final thing that I believe God is teaching us in this season. And it's this. I believe God is using the church to be the most generous organization on the whole planet. I believe God's using the church to be the most generous organization on the planet. I believe the church should be the most generous organization on the planet. Do you agree with that this morning? Do you agree the church should be the most generous organization? In times like the coronavirus, in times like the coronavirus is where Christianity demonstrates this distinctive nature of generosity. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know this to be true, and I know this to be true. Lots of people do good things. Secular organizations do good things. But what makes Christianity distinct is the generosity that happens. Now listen to me. In the midst of suffering, that's what makes us distinct. One pastor says it like this. It's not mere deeds that give Christianity. It's tang and luster. It is good deeds in spite of danger. Many non-Christians do good deeds, but seldom do people give glory to God because of them. Church, would you just listen to me in just the last few moments that we have here? When we as a church, when you as the church are generous in the face of danger, those deeds point people to the glory of God and to the hope of God. That's what Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 that we just read says. Christians are not just generous when it's easy. Christianity has historically demonstrated generosity. Now listen to me, even when it's risky. It's easy to be generous in prosperity. And so the early Christians, the early church laid this foundation of generosity that two centuries later we now are following, that we now experience as well as a church. I want to read you an excerpt from a book that I read this week. It's a few paragraphs, so hang in there with me, but I believe it's extraordinarily powerful. And it says this, Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity. I've quoted him in another book before in our church on a Sunday morning. Rodney Stark points out in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, that the first centuries of the Christian church were truly revolutionary. There was a truly revolutionary principle was that Christian love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and even those of faith to all in need. Two great plagues struck the Roman Empire in A.D. 165 and 251. Outside of the Christian church, there was no cultural or religious foundation for mercy and sacrifice. Understand this. There was no belief, he says, that the gods cared about human affairs. And so mercy was regarded as a character defect and pity as a pathological emotion. That thought still exists today because mercy involves providing unearned help or relief. It is contrary to justice, he says. Therefore, or at least assumed to be. Therefore, a third of the empire, listen to this, was perishing from disease. Physicians fled to their country estates. Those with symptoms were cast out of their homes. 
priest forsook the temples, but Stark observes. Christians claim to have answers, and most of all, they took appropriate actions. The answers included the forgiveness of sins through Christ and the hope of eternal life beyond death. This was a precious message in a season of medical helplessness and utter hopelessness. Now, hang on to that for just a moment. That's the message we've been trying to communicate for over a month here at Story City Church, that Jesus Christ is the source of hope. Jesus Christ is the source of help. Jesus Christ is the source of security. And that's the message the early Christians communicated when a third of the Roman Empire was experiencing disease. Now, listen to this. The last thing he says, as for their actions, large numbers of Christians cared for the sick and the dying. Toward the end of the second plague, Bishop Dionysus of Alexandria wrote a letter encouraging the members of his church. And this is what he said. Most of our brothers have showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attempting to their, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. Did you get that? Christians didn't regard themselves in the face of danger. They helped those who needed help, and in the process, they themselves died as well. Two centuries later, the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor, I'm sorry, Julian, around 332, wrote in frustration to the Roman high priest of Galatia. And this is what he said. The Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that not a single Jew who is a beggar There is not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the godless Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. We said this over a month ago, but the church has the answer for every need in our city. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Did you catch that? In other words, Peter says, don't let suffering, don't let suffering hinder your kindness. Don't let suffering hinder your generosity. Lots of people are generous in their prosperity. We're going to close this thing up here pretty soon. Lots of people are generous in their prosperity. Do you understand? That's easy. But when generosity comes in times of great personal cost, that's when the gospel is on display. That's when the glory of God is made known. By the way, doesn't that remind you of Jesus? At the core of our faith is a man who demonstrated indescribable generosity when he died for his enemies. One pastor says, therefore, one of God's purposes in the coronavirus is that his people put to death self-pity and fear and give themselves to good deeds in the presence of danger. Christians lean toward, listen to this, need, not comfort, toward love, not safety. That's what our Savior is like. That is what... He died for. If you've paid attention 
to how churches have responded in the coronavirus, you've probably seen things like churches are using their parking lots for, for testing facilities. Even this week, Tyler, our pastor here in Granada Hills, reached out to the city offering our parking lot for testing facilities. If you've been paying attention to how churches respond, you've probably seen churches delivering food to neighbors. You've probably seen church members, even in our own church, picking up groceries and delivering groceries for elderly. Even in our own church, you've probably seen or maybe know of someone in our own church who has reached out through what we call the care portal, helping foster families in our city. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Atlanta, a church of 3,000 people, just two weeks ago paid $1.6 million in medical debt for 1,000 families in need. So we've been in this pandemic now for a little over a month. And initially when everything was happening and we're sort of drinking from the fire hydrant trying to figure out how do we respond, initially we said our response is we're going to care for our neighbors. And we made these cards and we said, hey, take this card to your neighbor. Let them know that you're there for them. We said that we can provide every need. We can meet every need in our city if we will be a believer right where we are. Are And some of you have responded tremendously to that call. Even this week, you may have seen posted on our Instagram about a lady in our church who's making masks for people and reaching out to people and serving people. I've, I've heard of one person in our church who's making deliveries. I don't know whether it's for Amazon or whoever he's delivering for. He's handing out neighbor cards to people when he makes a delivery. Some of you have responded to needs through the care portal to help foster families. So here's what I believe as we are, have been in this for a month and a half. As we originally responded, we're drinking from the fire hydrant. How do we respond? We're all trying to navigate. We need to help our city. And here's what I believe. I believe the churches respond, not just ours, but the churches globally. Our response is going to look more like a marathon than it is a 100-yard dash. We've been in the 100-yard dash, and we've been responding well and exceedingly well in our church. And I'm exceedingly proud of you. I'm grateful to be one of your pastors here because of how you've responded. But I believe what we have in front of us is it's a merit. We've got a lot of help still to do. And I'm personally convicted. I believe that Story City still has a long ways to go to participate in how we can serve our city. And so I want to propose to you this morning, and we're going to make a video this week and explain it a little more. I would love to see our church specifically. We cannot respond to every need. We can only own what's in front of us and what we believe we can do. So I would love to see our church respond in one of three ways. I'd love to see our church help local businesses here in Los Angeles, particularly in Granada Hills and Burbank, the cities and the neighborhoods where we live, work, breathe, and play. I'd love to see us help some local businesses that are on the verge of shutting down. I'd love to see us try to support them. Number two, I would love to see us try to help some of our own. Some of you who are in our church body who have lost your jobs, you're literally on the brink of financial disaster, being evicted from your apartment whenever everything comes back. You have nothing, and I would love to see us try to take care of our own, number two. And then number three, I would love to see Story City Church just be a small part of helping some local church plants here in our city. Let me tell you why. As I talk to pastors all around the country, many pastors are saying we're in a good season right now. 
Our church is generous and our church has been faithful. And that's been the case for you here at Story City Church as well. But there is a sort of subset in, in, in our world. Guys and their wives who have planted churches and they are struggling the most in our city to survive. I would love to see our church come alongside a few of them and just be a, a small part to support and help sustain in this season. We can't do everything, but we can do something. It's easy to be generous in prosperity. It's gospel generosity when it's risky. Now, can I say this to you? Putting this in front of you is risky for Story City Church for a lot of reasons, many of which I won't even mention this morning, but one of which is we just planted a church right here, this very auditorium we're in in Granada. We just planted a church here literally, literally a month before everything went haywire. In a way, we are one of those church plants that's struggling. We planted a church in the middle of coronavirus, and in essence, we're, we're really not taking up anything financially for this campus. So it's risky for us. It's risky for us also because we're barely on the, on the verge of finally paying our own bills and not being reliable on people outside of our church. So it's risky for us to, it's risky for me to bring it to you this morning and say, I think we need to be generous and risky in our generosity. I've said this to you before. I'll say it to you again as long as you allow me to be your pastor. We have a small part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is way more than just Story City Church. It's way more than just us. And so this morning, I want to ask you to do something risky. I want to ask you to give. I have an amount in my head. I'm honestly nervous to even put it in front of you. But I'd love to see that amount being divided equally among all three of those causes. If a church of 400 people would give $100 a person, we take up $40,000 today to help people in our city, to help businesses that are struggling, people in our church, church plants in Los Angeles that need our support. And so we've made a way for you to give this morning and what I've committed. By the way, this is more risky than you know because of a conversation that happened this morning. But we want to demonstrate gospel generosity. This is God's church. It's not my church. It's not our worship team's church. It's God's church. He's going to take care of us. And we need to trust Him. And so we've made a way for you to give this morning, and I've committed, and we've committed to give everything that we take up today to the Story City Coronavirus Relief Fund. It's a new fund that we've created. You're going to hear more about it this week. And you can give this morning. I'm not talking about your tithes. I'm not talking about what you normally give this morning. I'm talking about an offering. There's a difference. Tithes is what you give to God and his church and his house. Offerings is what you go above and beyond for. My wife and I have talked about it this week, and we are committed to giving the largest gift we've ever given by far, far and away to the Story City Coronavirus Relief Fund. And let me tell you why. I'm a hypocrite if I ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So this morning you can give. You can text Story City all together, one word, it's on the screen, to 77977. When you text it, a link will come back. You click the link. Once you click the link, you click one-time gift. Under giving type, you select coronavirus relief fund. It's very simple. You can do it in 30 seconds, and you give any amount this morning.
Let's demonstrate risky generosity in a season where our city needs us. People around us, people in our church, local businesses, church plants that are preaching the gospel week in and week out and are just struggling and need us. Can I say to you, Story City, thank you for your generosity in this season. You've been overwhelming and abundant in your giving. And I'm calling you to another level, another level of risk, the glory of God, so that other people can see the hope and security in Jesus alone. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you that you have demonstrated exceeding generosity. And nothing proved the depths of your generosity more than your willingness to give your life on a cross. Not for those who loved you, because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but you gave your life for those who didn't love you. God, I thank you for a church this morning who has demonstrated exceeding generosity in a season that's difficult. God, this is in your hands, and we place it in your hands, but God, we ask you to lead us into a season where we trust you. God, you know the tons of needs we have in our church, facility needs, staffing needs, ministry needs. But God, we just have a small part in the kingdom of God, and it's not, the kingdom of God is not all about us. So by the spirit of the living God, would you direct us to go above and beyond, to be generous in this season, to the glory of God, so people can see hope and security in Jesus alone. In your name we pray. Amen.